Good morning, HOA Psychology students. This is not a test. This is an exam. In case you're on your way to the exam this morning, you let me check my timetable. It's 0700 hours. What does the O stand for? Oh my god, it's early. Hey, is it too early to be this loud? Too late. Okay, today we're going to be talking about social influence. What is social influence? Well, let's jump right in. Um, first off, we're going to be talking about conformity. Uh, there are two reasons or explanations for conformity, uh, normative, normative, yes, normative uh, social influence, which is the desire to be liked uh, when we conform to fit in with the group because we don't want to appear foolish or to be left out. Um, and then there's informational social influence, which is the desire to be right. Um, which is, yeah, uh, so when we think that a group uh, knows the situation better, so we um, conform to them. There are different types of conformity, uh, namely three different types. First off, uh, compliance. This involves simply uh, going along with others to gain their approval. Uh, results in public change behavior, but not private. For example, listening to different music with your friends, but uh, you know, listening to your own music at home. Uh, this is a form of normative social influence because you want to be liked by others. Uh, next up is internalization, uh, when we change our behavior because we actually accept the group's beliefs and views. Uh, this results in a private and public change in behavior and beliefs. An example of this is uh, religious beliefs. Uh, this is a form of informational social influence because we really perceive that the other group knows what is best. Uh, identification is the third type of conformity. Uh, which is when we conform to the beliefs and behaviors of a group because we identify with them uh, and we value them. We want to be associated with that group um, and we publicly change our views uh, as a result of that. So a main study into conformity is ASH, uh, 1956. This is a hot psychologist, one of the main ones on the topic, so hot that they named him ASH. Okay. Abe, Solomon Ash conducted an experiment uh, to investigate the extent to which social pressure from a majority group can affect a person to conform. Procedure, 123 male U.S. undergraduate students were tested, 123, 1, 2, 3, male. Um, their participants were seated around a table and asked to uh, identify three lines of different lengths uh, and which ones uh, were the same as the standard line, which was uh, another line presented to them. Um, and yes, so the results of this uh, were there were 12 critical trials and on average conformity rate was 33 percent 33 remember that number is going to be important um, and Yes, so half conformed on six or more of the critical trials and one in 20 participants conformed on all 12 trials But the main number you need to know for this really is 33% uh, of conformity rate so con Conclusion of this uh, is that when they were interviewed after the experiment um, most people uh, said that after the task concluded when they were interviewed um, they said that they knew the right answer, but they were afraid to stand out from the group. Uh, this is evidence of conformity by normative social influence. They want to be liked. So they go along, they're like, well, you know, I don't want to stand out there. You know, I want to blend in. I'm going to say the same thing as the rest of the group. Um, there's also informational social influence that took place in this study, um, especially when the, it, it was quite difficult to tell the comparison lines from the standard lines. People said, well, you know what, I'm not quite sure of the answer, so I'll go along with the other people because, you know, they all know what they're talking about. 
Um, okay, so that is it for the procedures of it. Next up, evaluations. These are AO3 points. This is, uh, you know, the important stuff. This is what peppers in for those A-star uh, uh, grades. Okay, so can the results be applied to other settings? Uh, it lacks ecological validity. The task use were artificial. I mean, really, you know, you, you stand on the cash register. How many times does people ask you, hey, you know, you have to pay for this, but you mind comparing these lines? Uh, no, so lacks ecological validity. Um, it is culturally biased. Participants are all from the United States. You individualistic culture. Uh, my bad, I'm speaking too fast. Uh, ignores collectivist cultures uh, because they're more likely uh, to conform in uh, collectivist cultures than in uh, individualistic. And the study is androcentric. Uh, they were all male people. Um, okay. So we're going to talk about uh, demand characteristics, extraneous variables. Uh, is it internally valid? Well, okay. Participants suffered from demand characteristics. Uh, they might have guessed uh, the aim of the experiment and went along with it. Uh, but there was a high control of variables. Uh, the samples confederates selected and the tasks were all repeated. Um, it also can be said that this could be an era-dependent study. Um, because of McCarthyism uh, at the time, the whole Red Scare uh, increased uh, sense conformity because they were like, oh, if I guess these lines to be different, I might be a communist. Um, yes, okay. And they found that conformity rate, again, was 33%, which does mean that 67% of the participants showed individual behavior. So is it really actually showing that people conform? You know, it's like, uh, okay. Um, yeah, okay. So that is Ash uh, AO3 points for that. Um, he also did variations of his uh, original procedure, which actually tell us like a hell of a lot about um, conformity. Size of the group. Uh, if the group size was one or two confederates, conformity was actually quite low. But when the group size increased to three confederates, conformity increased to 30%. Uh, remember this, when three confederates, 30%. Uh, this is, you know, big number. Uh, any greater increases didn't dramatically increase conformity. So again, you know, roughly 30%. Unanimity of the majority uh, is another point. Um, uh, conformity decreased when unanimity was disturbed, uh, like when one confederate dissented. Uh, when confederates were unanimous, conformity was 33%. Again, this number, 33%. Uh, but when one confederate, one confederate, the scented conformity dropped to 6%. My God, you know, 6%. Wow. Um, difficulty of the task. When the lines were made a lot closer or, or, or similar to each other, uh, conformity increased uh, as participants doubted their answer. Uh, again, this is informational social influence uh, at play. Okay, next up, uh, we're going to be talking about... Um, Zimbardo's uh, prison experiment. Uh, interesting stuff. Uh, not, you know, some nice stuff. It's a bit uh, harrowing, but let's run through it. Okay, so what happened is that a mock prison was set up in the basement of the psychology department at the Stanford University uh, in California. Participants uh, were made up of, of, of students at the university, and they were psychologically, physically screened, and 24, 24 of the most stable uh, mentally were randomly assigned to play either the role of a prisoner or a guard. Um, prisoners were unexpectedly arrested uh, at, the, at their house, uh, you know, so actual policemen showed up and arrested them and then put them in this mock prison um, in the Stanford uh, department. When they arrived, um, they were given a prison uniform, uh, assigned an ID number, and again, highly realistic because they used de-lousing procedure. Um, uh, it's like, you know, run them through. 
Um, guards referred to their prisoners only by the numbers, um, and prisoners were given a certain number of rights, uh, you know, meals a day, supervised toilet trips, uh, two visits a week. Uh, and the guards were given uniforms, clubs, whistles, and wore reflective sunglasses, uh, which is to prevent eye contact. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll touch back on that later, because um, interesting stuff. Findings. Um, over the first few days, guards grew increasingly, increasingly tyrannical and abusive towards the prisoners. Uh, they woke them in the night, forced them to clean toilets with their bare hands, carried out degrading activities. Some guards were also enthusiastic uh, in this really kind of you know, sadistic uh, behavior. Uh, they volunteered to do extra hours without pay, um, you know, really, you know, stuff like that. Um, and yeah, and, and often participants appeared at times to forget this was a psychological study and that they were merely acting, um, even when they were uh, unaware if, that they were being watched, they still conformed to their roles. Um, and yeah, so when one prisoner had asked, uh, had enough and asked for like parole rather than asking to withdraw from the study, it kind of shows how they uh, really like, you know, were in it. They asked, you know, like, no, no, like, hey, can I go home? I'm sick of the study. They're like, look, man, can I get parole? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so they, uh, at, at the end, prisoners had to be released early because the extreme reactions um, that were happening and symptom, symptoms uh, had already started to appear after two days. Um, study terminated only six, day, six days due to the abuse being suffered by the participants. Conclusion of this is that it demonstrated that both guards and prisoners conformed to the social roles. Guards became increasingly cruel and sadistic, and prisoners became increasingly passive and accepting of uh, their, uh, their their plight. Um, yeah, so evaluation of this research is that, can it be generalized? Uh, there's only 24 participants, uh, you know, small sample size, androcentric, ethnocentric, culturally biased, because in the US it's individualistic, uh, and you can also say, you know, the violent culture in the US and uh, yada, yada, yada. Um, subsequent research, this is a good evaluation point, the BBC prison study, um, uh, they conducted by Reicher and Haslam, uh, 2006. We found the prisoners banded together and challenged authority, broke down prison guard system, and so this decreases reliability or validity because it shows that they didn't actually conform to social roles when the experiment uh, was uh, repeated. Um, is this a realistic setting? Can this really be, you know, like generalized? It took place at Stanford University. Um, and demand characteristics may have been observed uh, because the participants volunteered and they were paid for this work. So they, they might have felt that they were obliged uh, to go through with it. And 90% of the talk uh, within the, 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 the study was about prison life, which kind of shows that they're immersed in the study and they actually believed they were in it. Um, does it have ecological validity? Well. Conformity to social roles uh, is, was reflected in, you know, the Abu Ghraib uh, incident. Well, incident is, still goes on to this day, but um, in, in prisons in uh, Iraq and how they conformed to social roles and really acted cruel and sadistic towards uh, prisoners there. Um, however, there is an artificial in, in, in environment um, to the study as it took place in the basement of Stanford. Um, are there any ethical issues? Yes, lots of ethical issues. Uh, participants weren't protected from harm um, whatsoever. They weren't given the white to white the right to withdraw either. Uh, either uh, one of the participants actually, you know, was, was kind of begging uh, to go home, and uh, he was let gone. But they were given informed consent, 
and it, it was passed by the Stanford Board of Ethics, um, the, the, the study being. So that's, you know, a, a pro uh, point to it. Next up, uh, we're going to be talking about obedience to authority uh, as part of social influence. Um, so obedience is a result of social influence where somebody acts in response to a direct order from an authority figure. Uh, main study in this is Milgram, um, 1974, uh, or 90, yeah, 1974. Um, interesting study. I'm just trying to find my notes on it. Yeah, so he wanted to test the Germans are different hypothesis uh, when talking about, um, you know, what, what were the events that, that led up to the, the Holocaust and why were, were Germans so... Um, uh, kind of, you know, obeyed authority and committed these uh, horrendous acts. Um, a lot of people said that, well, the Germans are different. Uh, it's something hardwired into them. That's a dispositional argument because it's something within their personality. Uh, but Milgram was like, well, you know, how about any um, uh, factors that might be around that, any situational factors? So he, he wanted to find a situational argument um, for it. So he recruited participants through an advertisement, which was placed in a local newspaper. They were given $4 uh, to join the study and 50 cents to cover bus fares. Um, this is a voluntary sample, and 40 um, kind of learners were, the, were, were in the um, experiment when it took place. Um, they were assigned roles. It, it, it was a tricked uh, role system where they, they told people they had a confederate in the study, who was the um, um, the, the the teacher? Uh, who was the, who was the learner, and then the teacher role, and the teacher role w was given to all the people who had um, volunteered for the study, and um, forty of which uh, all came from different uh, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, uh, but they were all men, um, in uh, the the greater area of uh, I think Massachusetts or, or New England uh, where the study took place. Um, yeah, so they might have demand characteristics because of this, um, but yeah. So what they found is that uh, participants continue to give shocks up to 300 volts. A hundred percent of participants give shocks up to 300 volts when asked uh, to continue the experiment where um, they had to administer um, shocks if people got wrong in a word pairing exercise, which was pre-recorded the answers to make it highly uh, reliable. 65% um, continued to give shocks up to a maximum of 450 volts, which was on the, the box. The volt machine was registered as XXX danger, uh, you know, uh, highly uh, dangerous. Um, so Milgram made this experiment highly realistic. The volt shot generator was detailed and realistic stating things like uh, shock generator type ZLB, Dyson Instrument Company, Waltman, uh, Massachusetts. Um, you know, highly um, realistic um, in that sense. Um, participants were also given verbal prods uh, while they took place in the experiment, like, please continue, please go on. Uh, the experiment requires you to continue. It's absolutely essential that you continue and you have no other choice, you must go on. These prods were given by a, um, um, a, a, the, the experimenter who was in the room wearing a lab coat uh, at the time and told him to go through uh, this experiment. It took place at Yale University. Um, participants showed signs of distress. 
Um, one person was, you know, fumbling a cigarette uh, while this was going through. The other one was like, you know, nervous laughter. One person even had a seizure during this. So like, you know, they're like, wow, that's bad. Um, so conclusions that were drawn for this was that normal people can go against moral codes when instructed. Uh, so they, you know, say, please continue, please carry on. Uh, the, the experiment requires you to continue all these verbal prods saying, you know, like, oh, you have to administer these shocks based off the wrong answers I've given. And this disproves the Germans a different uh, hypothesis that were given. So, some AO3 points uh, talking about this. Uh, so the study was highly unethical uh, because, again, the uh, protection from harm, right to withdraw. They, they didn't think that they were allowed to withdraw because of the verbal prods used, uh, but they were given debrief uh, at, at the end of it. Um, yeah, so they were also... <laughs> So this is a bit of a tricky evaluation point, but he did not break any ethical guidelines because they did not exist at the time that he carried out the experiment. Um, so it's, uh, because of the study, they introduced um, uh, guidelines for it. Um, it's unrepresentative because um, the study is ethnocentric. Uh, it only took place with people from the, the kind of, um, Yale uh, area, uh, New England, and they were all from the same background, white, male, androcentric. Um, yeah, so they did not take adequate pre precautions to help participants from harm, both psychological uh, and physical. Uh, it was carried out in a laboratory, meaning that the results lack ecological validity, because people might, might say, well, um, I'm in a lab, it's Yale, it's prestigious, of course, they're not going to let me electrocute somebody to death. Um, <laughs> this must be for a right cause. Um, yeah, um, so people weren't given the right to withdraw, again, the verbal prods, and the money paid means they might have said, oh, yeah, I have to go through and continue this. So, Milgram, afterwards, uh, continued with variations of the study, um, mainly location being one. So in the original uh, experiment, obedience rate was 65%. I remember this, 65% at Yale University. Uh, when the venue was moved to see the offices in a nearby town, so really, you know, grungy and stuff, uh, obedience rate dropped uh, to 48%. Um, proximity was another variation. Teacher and learner, when they were in the same room, 40% was the obedience rate. Uh, when the teacher was had forced the hand of the learner onto the plate to receive the shock, um, it was dropped to 30%. Uh, when the experimenter left the room and instructed the teacher um, by telephone from another room, this dropped to 21%. So pr proximity increases the um, uh, levels of obedience. Um, okay, so yeah, explanations for obedience. Um, there's legitimate authority, which is one explanation. Uh, positions hold responsibility in society. Uh, if there's a hierarchical structure. So authority is legitimate because it's agreed by society uh, and it allows authority figures to assert power. So society runs smoothly because of this. Um, if the command is harmful, it must be uh, in an institutional structure. So again, legitimacy of authorities is, is one uh, reason. This is seen in the lab coat that the um, uh, experimenter in, in, uh, in the Milgram study used because it says, well, you know, it's a doctor is in a higher position than I am in the hierarchy, hence he's more likely to obey. Uh, the agentic state is another explanation. Uh, destructive authority occurs when a person does not take responsibility for their actions. 
this is when you're acting for someone else, that they are an agent. Uh, in this case, the participants may have said, oh, you know, this person's telling me to shock them, so I'm acting on their behalf. I'm not actually morally responsible for their actions. Um, so this happens when there's an autonomous state, uh, when people act autonomously and individualistically. There's an agentic shift, which is when um, you perceive someone of authority telling you to do something, and then leads to you acting as an agent through the agentic state. Uh, again, this was observed in the My uh, Lie Massacres, uh, not a great name for a cocktail, <laughs> but the actual massacre, um, it was, um, yeah, they, they said that they were acting uh, as behalf of an agent, that they were acting on the orders of a person above them in the hierarchy. Um, so, um, there's also the uh, authoritarian personality, uh, is another explanation. Um, it's when uh, people see a black and white view and are rigid thinkers. This, this can lead to social influence, uh, to obedience to authority, is when, if you have a, an authoritarian personality. Um, so Adorno is one of the people who identified this through his California F scale, F standing for fascist. And he found that different components make up the authoritarian personality. Um, and he had a questionnaire, which uh, if you had a higher score on it, the more um, authoritarian you were. And uh, usually um, authoritarian personality types can be identified as conventionalist. Uh, an inherent adherence to conventional norms and values, authoritarian aggression, aggression towards people who break these norms, authoritarian submission, which is uncritical submission to legitimate authority or the authority that they perceive as legitimate black and white view of the world. They see things polarizingly uh, and rigid thinkers. So Elms and Milgram, uh, again, the, the same Milgram, uh, they carried up a follow-up study onto Milgram's experiments. They selected 20 obedient participants, uh, the ones who had continued to the final shock level in the, um, uh, in the experiment, and 20 defiant participants, those who hadn't continued to the final shock level. Uh, and they all completed this California F-scale um, test to measure their levels of authoritarianism. They found the participants who scored higher on the F-scale, so had more authoritarian traits, uh, had been willing to administer bigger shocks in Milgram's main experiment. Uh, so this is, again, uh, uh, supports the theory of the authoritarian personality. Okay, next up, we're going to be talking about uh, resistance to social influence. So when this, you know, social influence thing doesn't happen. Um, so people can, uh, can portray independent behavior, uh, which is when it's not dependent on other people, and, you know, it's free will, you're less likely to obey or conform. Uh, behavior is uh, not kind of uh, surrendering to a authority figure group uh, or group majority. Um, so, in Ash's original study in conformity, 67% of the people displayed independent behavior. Um, in Milgram's um, study, 35% did not uh, obey and went all uh, and by going all the way up to 450 volts. So we can see that people do act uh, independently. So there are many factors that play into this. Uh, group descent, upbringing, uh, you know, again, we talked about uniform and lack of credibility, uh, education, culture, collectivist versus individualistic, um, and the uh, authoritarian personality. Um, okay, 
So one explanation for this um, is locus of control. Um, so when you have uh, so locus of control is if you can uh, if you believe that you have control of the events in your life, um, you know internal or external locus control being uh, internal you have a greater independence less reliance on the opinions of others external more passive attitude and acceptance of uh, of the influence of others so you're more likely to be influenced internal you're less likely um, to be influenced there's also social support um, as a reason um, for resistance to social influence um, presence of social support uh, enables individuals to resist conformity. Uh, if you see it at Ash's study, when unanimity was broken, uh, when there's one person dissenting, uh, conformity dropped to 6%, uh, which means they, they had an ally in the sense they identified with another person in the study and it was easier for them to dissent uh, and not to conform. Um, disobedient peers act as role models, obedience rates dropped to 10% when Confederates denied uh, the experimenter. This is Milgram's study, um, and yes. Okay, evaluations for social um, resisting, uh, for, for resisting social influence, uh, is that there's research that supports the link between locus of control and resistance social influence. Um, a experimenter called Holland uh, repeated Milgram's experiment uh, and measures whether participants were uh, internal or external locus had those types of locus of control. 63% of those with an internal locus of control continued to the highest shock level in comparison to 77% uh, with an external locus of control. So again, people with internal are less likely to conform. Okay. Next up, we're going to be talking about uh, social change um, and minority influence. So, minority influence um, uh, is when the views of major minority uh, socially influence the majority and become the views of majority. So, there are many ways in which this happened. Uh, three main behavioral styles that minorities must adopt um, to uh, convert the views of the majority. Consistency is the first. At first, when a majority is exposed to different uh, to a differing minority, they assume them to be wrong. Uh, consistent pursuit of changing majority view can cause majority to think about the issue more carefully. So, if consistent, you're you're challenging the belief of the majority. Woods et al found that uh, in a meta-analysis of 97 studies on minority influence, consistent minorities were more successful. Commitment uh, is another reason, uh, suggests that um, confidence uh, and courage and, and charisma in the, in the face of majority um, can actually uh, increase the, the chances of converting the majority belief. Commitment may also persuade the majority group to take them more seriously. Um, you see this in uh, examples like the suffragette movement, um, where you know one, one of the uh, women threw herself in front of the king's horse, and you know, oh, you know, if you don't call that committed, what's committed? Flexibility is another reason. Uh, if you compromise to affect change, uh, you have the ability to negotiate and avoid dogmatism. Uh, if it's too flexible, it can be seen as inconsistent, uh, which is a thing. One study into my minority influence is Moscovici. Um, in 1969, a study on calling a blue side green is what they called. So 
there was an all-female group of participants. Uh, they were given an eye test to check that they were not colorblind. Uh, placed in a group of four participants and two confederates. They were shown 36 slides that were different shades of blue and asked to state the color out loud. There were two groups in this experiment. Uh, first, confederates were consistent, answering green for every slide. In the second group, the confederates were inconsistent and answered green 24 and blue 12 times. Uh, so the findings of this is that in the consistent group, 8.42, 8.42, remember this number, uh, of trials resulting in participants answering green, agreeing with the minority. 32% per, uh, of the participants agreed at least once. Uh, and in the inconsistent group, 1.25, 1.25 uh, of the trials resulted in the participants answering green. Conclusions, the study suggested that minorities can change the opinion of the majority, particularly if they're consistent. Strengths, uh, this is a lab setting, so there's a high internal validity to this. Weaknesses, however, um, it lacks generalizability because uh, it is, um, I think, uh, gynocentric. Um, all women were used in the study. And also 68% didn't agree with the consistent group. So it, it, it shows that people uh, don't, uh, might not actually be influenced by the minority. Lacks ecological validity, it's an artificial task. Uh, individualistic culture in the U United States where the study took place and deception, they, they were deceived into the uh, experiment. So there's five stages of social influence that can cause a conversion in beliefs. Uh, first stage being attention. Um, which is uh, when you show, oh yeah, when you raise attention to an issue. Uh, so this could be, for example, you know, the suffragettes uh, bringing attention uh, that they're willing to suffer for their views, or, or this could be educational, political, or militant action. Secondly, it's cognitive conflict, challenging the beliefs of the majority to make them think more deeply. Um, an example of this can be, uh, you know, segregation uh, in the U.S., the Jim Crow laws. Um, that's so that was a majority view at the time and a minority position being obviously against that um, and so after bringing attention to it you you um, you make them think more uh, deeply by by uh, challenging the belief thirdly consistency of position um, you have to uh, you know be consistent in this like, like what we talked about earlier an example being the Montgomery boycott um, in uh, uh, in the 60s uh, sorry in the 50s um, which lasted 381 days. Uh, so, you know, that's that's fairly consistent. Uh, the augmentation principle is when you increase the, uh, the, 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 the depth or the amount of actions you take against it. So we can start, like, with the Montgomery boy, boycott. It can be, you know, not taking uh, public transport because, they're, uh, because of the, the, the segregation that's uh, around it. Uh, but then this augmented to them walking around um, everywhere uh, in, until the um, soles of their shoes completely uh, kind of wore out. Um, and then there's a snowball effect, which is when minority influence spreads more widely until it reaches a tipping point. Uh, so this is when enough people join in uh, so that it, it almost kind of becomes a majority uh, view. Okay. So uh, we're going to be talking about uh, an example of this, um, mainly being the Rosa Parks um, uh, kind of, kind of, uh, and the um, 
Montgomery boycott. Uh, so she sat in the um, quote-unquote white section of the segregated bus, refusing to give up her seat. This was the attention. Um, evidence of cognitive conflict is they challenge the existing view slash norm. Consistency was the Montgomery bus uh, boycott lasted 381 days, augmentation, walked around till the souls wore out, snowball effect, people came across the country to join in on this uh, kind of protest. Okay, evaluation of minority influence. Um, social change through minority influence may be gradual. Uh, humans have a strong tendency to conform to the majority position and to maintain the status quo rather than engage in social change. Um, so minority influence may be more latent than direct. Uh, another uh, evaluation is that it, it might be being perceived as deviant limits the influence of minorities. Uh, members of the majority may avoid to align themselves with a minority position as they don't want to be seen as deviant. Uh, attention would be the source of the message rather than the message uh, itself. Barriers to social change might be uh, another evaluation that people were less likely to behave in an environmentally friendly way as they didn't want to be associated with a stereotypical and the minority environmentalist, uh, uh, you know, vegan culture and all that. Um, so so that, that means that they're less likely to be in it. So, you know, they want to avoid behaving in ways that reinforce uh, stereotypes uh, in order to get um, social influence in that sense. And I believe that that, ladies and gentlemen, tops us off for the social influence topic. I have been talking nonstop for 33 minutes and 0.4 seconds. I'm going to get a glass of water. Thank you very much. Good luck for your exam uh, today or whenever it is. Uh, and I will be coming out with the next podcast shortly. Thanks. Bye.